Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. You know, we've been talking about the last, well, I talked last Sunday and then I had a two-week interlude before that, so four weeks ago and then last Sunday again today, been talking about balanced, godly prosperity. And the reason I say balanced is because uh, many, not all, but many of the leading prosperity uh, advocates and and preachers, again, not all, but many of them, uh, I am concerned present an unbalanced uh, approach to the subject of prosperity. And... uh, You know, the Bible teaches prosperity. But in order to be balanced, you have to teach everything the Bible says about money and riches, not just certain things. And so we looked at this passage in in the sixth chapter of 1 Timothy, and it said in verse nine, those who desire to be rich fall into into temptation and a snare and and, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Notice it's not just the ungodly who fall into this trap because he said that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. But notice some have departed from the faith, strayed from the faith. And so uh, this is a very serious warning. You cannot, it would be unfair, it would be wrong of me to preach on prosperity without covering these scriptures and without calling our attention to this very real danger and very serious warning here. And, uh, and so like I said uh, uh, last week, uh, these temptations and snares, as it says here, are real. And uh, we should give considerable note of this and guard our hearts because the danger is very real. And so we pointed this out last week that this is a serious warning. But right at the same time, we looked at this scripture over in First John. Turn over there with me. Excuse me, Third John. Third John. Turn over to, to the, the epistle of 3 John. <clears throat> and verse number two says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Well, just like 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, uh, just like that passage is a serious warning, this is a serious promise. Amen. This is a serious promise. You know, I've said before that extremism in Bible doctrine is taking any truth and preaching it to the exclusion of everything else the Bible says about that topic. And people tend to get into the ditch, so to speak, on one side or the other, but the truth is always in the middle. The truth draws from all of the scriptures. And so I've, I've been presenting this because of the, uh, the danger in our camp, in our circles, of the prosperity uh, gurus or the prosperity preachers 
who just preach one side of the blessing of God and they never warn about the dangers. We want to get out of that ditch. But at the same time, in Christianity, and, and not even just Christianity, but even in secular culture all around, most people are in the other ditch. And many Bible teachers only teach about the warnings against money. Well, what about the promises? That's unbalanced as well. No, we need to stay right in the middle. Isn't that right? Amen. You know, there are so many scriptures uh, that promise the blessing of the Lord and, and uh, natural financial prosperity. Psalms 35 verse 27 says, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Proverbs 10, says, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Deuteronomy chapter eight talks about God giving his people the power to get wealth. Amen. And uh, not only that, Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you stingily, just barely enough to get along. Is that what he said? No, he said, give and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Well, those are, those are uh, uh, serious blessings and serious promises. Now let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter six again and let's look at verse nine again. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now hold your place and go back over to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, <clears throat> verse number 6 says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And, and we know this is talking about giving. And he who, you could say it this way, he who gives bountifully will also reap bountifully. So will each, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace, the Amplified Bible says, every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need, be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support, but furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. So we have the promise of God on the one hand of blessing, and then on the other hand, in 1 Timothy, we have a very serious warning. And, and if you just look at it, if you take, 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10 and separate it from all of the other verses of Scripture, it seems to say that we should not have a desire to have anything more than just enough to get by. For those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into, in, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. I pointed out last week, it's... It, when you think about it though, it doesn't seem right that we should be warned not to believe his promise. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. 
Now think about that. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, but don't want to be rich. Don't desire to be rich. You desire to be rich after the wrong thing. We call that in the natural world bait and switch. (laughs) I learned a long time ago that there are no, I mean, I always knew this, but I didn't know what the answer was. I always knew up here that the Bible never contradicts itself. I just had enough sense to know that God's not confused. So he doesn't contradict himself. And yet I would come up against passages that seemed to contradict one another. This is a good example. But I learned a long time ago, if I think there's a contradiction, it's because I haven't seen something. There's something yet that I don't understand about the process. And so uh, I noticed that there in, in a situation like that, when a scripture seems to contradict other passages of scripture, there has to be somewhere a qualifier, something that, that sort of like a, a, a key, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, the, uh, what'd you call it? The uh, Rosetta Stone, you know. There, there has to be a key somewhere that kind of unlocks so you can see everything as it fits together. Well, the qualifier of verse number nine is located in verse number 10, right where you think it would be, right there in front of us. Those who desire to be rich, go over to verse 10, for the love of money. Notice, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. It's talking about motive. Why do you desire to be rich? If the desire to be rich comes from the motive of the love of money and greediness, then you will fall into many temptations and many snares. And you will err from the faith. You will stray from the faith. I've seen it too many times. But what if, go back to, to first or Second Corinthians again, what if your motive is not for the love of money, is not for greediness? Look at verse number nine again, or verse number eight again. God is able to make all grace, and we expounded on that in the Amplified Version, uh, to make all grace abound toward you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Now, that's something God wants to do. If he didn't want to do it, he wouldn't tell us. But what's the motive? Look at verse number, well, let's continue reading verse nine, uh, nine and going down through verse 11. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. There's a key right there. He has dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor, there's a key right there, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Now in in the context here, the fruits of your righteousness would be the fruit of your giving, which would be the return on your giving. Isn't that right? While you are enriched, that word enriched means to be made rich. While you are made rich in everything 
for all liberality. Or like the Amplified Bible says, so that you can be generous. Now you see the prospect of an entirely different motive. For he who, who desires to be rich for the love of money and for greediness and for covetousness sake, he says will fall into many temptations and snares. But what about he who desires to be rich so that he can be generous? How about he who desires to be rich so that he can be a blessing to other people? See, you cannot be a blessing unless you are blessed. Now, I'm not talking about uh, uh, in, in, in other things. We're, we're talking about money right now. We're talking about finances. Now, let me say this. There are other ways of being generous. And God sees all of it. Some people are generous with their time, with their hospitality, with their care and, and, and uh, just willing to, to, to be there for people and to give of themselves in various ways. God sees all. All of that. And he rewards all of that. And, and, so, uh, and so we want to, to make sure you know that. But we're talking about money and finances right now. And when it comes to the things of God, God wants us to be generous. He wants us to have enough that our needs are more than met and plenty left over to give to somebody else. Notice he said, God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things. That's not, that's not living paycheck to paycheck. That's right. I said, that's not. Now listen, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, there's nothing to be ashamed of. What I'm just saying is that God wants you to do better than that. And he's provided for you to do better than that. But notice that you may have all sufficiency in all things. How many things? All things. That would mean all natural things, not just all spiritual things. That you may have an abundance. That you may, that you may uh, have all sufficiency in all things and may have an abundance, notice, for every good work. For every good work. That's what God wants. He wants us to come to a place of thinking about more than just ourselves. And I, I talked last week, and I want to say it again, there, the, the problem some people have is their vision is too small. They only see, uh, their, their dream in life is to just, you know, be okay. To, to just have a comfortable home, you know, to one day pay off their mortgage and uh, to have a home, be able to keep their taxes paid on it, keep it up, have enough money in retirement, you know, to live comfortably, go out to eat, you know, when you want to and, and uh, go on vacations and, and just, you know, be, have a decent car or a car. Everybody has to have more, more than one car these days, you know, have cars and, and uh, so forth. And like I said last week, there's nothing wrong with having, there's nothing wrong with living modestly. This is not about, this is not uh, saying that it's wrong to live modestly. In fact, in fact, the Bible encourages that. This is not about just 
what, what this is about is being in, small in your thinking and only thinking of, your, of enough for yourself to live modestly and even slightly comfortable. It's about seeing that God can bless you and make you a channel of blessing and make you an example of blessing so that you will inspire other people to follow in your footsteps, to also prosper, to also achieve much, to also have riches, to also have abundance, not so that you can just spend it on yourself, but that you can give to others. There's something about a generous heart that's God-like. God has a generous heart. God is a giver. God is more interested in you than himself. God is more interested in what blesses you than what blesses him. He even, even the praise we offer, he set it up so that it would, it would silence the enemy and the avenger in our life. Even our praise to him comes back to be a blessing to us. Because where God's concerned, it's really about us. He's generous. Now, now one, one reason he can be so generous is he has everything. Well, God wants you to be more generous. In order to be more generous, you're going to have to have more. So it's all about motive. Amen. Don't wait to become generous. Start now. What is, I said this last week, what is, what is generosity? It's giving more. This is the definition from the, from the uh, dictionary. Giving more than is strictly necessary or expected. Unselfish, free, lavish. And you can do that because you know God will provide for you. It's thinking bigger than just what you need or desire for yourself. Thinking bigger than that. I, I, I said, you know, when, when my wife and I were younger, uh, we could not be as generous as we are now, but we were generous to the degree we could be. We were generous where we were, with the little we had. We longed for the day that we could do more than just give somebody $20. We longed for the day when we could give somebody thousands of dollars. Well, I've heard people say, I've heard people actually tell me, it's not something I heard about somebody. I've actually heard people, they've actually said it to me. Pastor, when, you know, when, 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 when my, in other words, they say these exact words, but when, when my ship comes in, you know, I'm going to be a blessing. They say things like, you know, I want to do so much for the church and I, I'm just waiting on that day when God blesses me. I want to do so much. Well, you have to start where you are. Because Jesus said, he who is faithful in a little will be faithful in, a mu- in much, but he who is unjust in little will be unjust in, lo- in much. And listen, not being generous is unjust. Being stingy is unjust. It's unjust. Hoarding everything just for yourself and not, and not thinking about anybody else. So, well, I don't have anything to give anybody else. Yes, you do. 
Yes, you do. You can give something. Sell something. Think about it. What can you do to be a blessing to somebody else? Start where you are. Generosity involves a degree of sacrifice. I said generosity involves a degree of sacrifice. What is sacrifice? A, a sacrifice is something in, in, that you give that you need. You sacrifice in order to do something. Being generous means choosing to not maybe enjoy everything you could enjoy with your means, with what's available to you, with your possessions and with your finances. Being generous means not enjoying that to the full, but, but taking some of that pleasure or some, that, some of that that you could use on yourself for something you really want and say, you know what, I'm going to do something for somebody else. I actually had plans for that money, but I'm going to put it into somebody else's hand by the leading of the Holy Ghost and I'm going to be a blessing to them. Generosity involves sacrifice. Amen. When is the last time you curtailed something you really wanted, either to have, to buy, or to do in order to do something for somebody else? Now you're talking about generosity. Amen. Listen, if it fits into your budget, it's not generosity. I'll say that again. If it fits into your budget, it's not generosity. It's going beyond. I'm not talking about doing more than you uh, are able to do. I'm not talking about uh, living beyond your means. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something you have, not something you borrow, something that you have that is yours and you have a place for it. You have something you would like to do with it, but instead you give that to somebody else. That will open a door in your life for God to start moving on your behalf because that is God-like. Jesus, God the Father, gave his only begotten son. Jesus laid his life down. You talk about sacrifice. God sacrificed everything. He doesn't ask us to sacrifice everything. He does ask us to be generous and that does involve some sacrifice. Well, amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, go with me to, to the 10th chapter of Mark. Mark chapter 10. Now, Mark chapter 10 uh, is a passage that also contains serious warnings. And we need to heed these warnings. But they also, they, these, this passage has also been used in a way to uh, uh, present an idea that's not completely factual. So let's start in verse number 17. This is the rich young ruler, the account of the rich young ruler. Now he was young and he was rich. I don't know if he was a ruler or not, but that's what, that's what the tradition says. He was a rich young ruler. 
Now, as Jesus was going out on the road, one came running, knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. That's pretty good if you only lack one thing. One, how about that? How would you like to say, have Jesus tell you, you just have one thing, <laughs> one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. That meant he was rich. Now, Jesus was not teaching that it is necessary to give all your money away and all your possessions away in order to be saved. Because Peter and Andrew, James and John didn't do that. You remember Peter and Andrew? One day Jesus walked by the, by the uh, lakeside, you know, and Peter and Andrew were uh, cleaning their nets. They were fishermen. And Jesus said, follow me. And they left their nets and their boat and they followed him. James and John was there. They were brothers. Peter and Andrew were brothers. James and John were brothers. And they were the sons of Zebedee. They left their their stuff, followed Jesus. And the four of them were in partnership. It says they were partners. So they were business. They had a business go. They were commercial fishermen. And they left everything to follow Jesus. But you know, if, 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 you, if you go to the end of the, of the Gospels, go to the 21st chapter of John after Jesus was raised from the dead and uh, he had appeared to them once. Uh, Peter said, I'm going fishing. You know, once a fisherman, always a fisherman. Isn't that right? Isn't that right, Doug? I mean, it just gets in you, you know. Peter said, I'm going fishing. And the other said, we're going with you. They got in their boat and went fishing. So they still had boats. I thought they left all their stuff. See, God doesn't require you to give everything. Evidently, they left the control of their business. It says, we don't know about Peter and Andrew, but we, say, we know of, of, of James and John that they left their boat and they left their father, Zebedee, with the boat. It looks like it still main, they still maintained a family business. Because at the very end of, the, uh, of Jesus' life, and, and you remember the story of Jesus, they went out and they got in their boats and they started fishing and then Jesus came up, you know, and, and said, hey, you know, cast your net and they cast their net and Peter said, it's the Lord. And he jumped out of the boat, you know, and swam to shore and then they, he dragged the, the uh, net and had all these fish in it and the net didn't break. You know the story? My point is, Peter and John, I mean, Peter and Andrew, James and John, they didn't give away everything they had. Matthew was a, was a tax collector. When he met Jesus, Jesus didn't say give everything away. He told Matthew, he said, he said, Matthew said, what do you want me to do? Jesus said, only take what is right from, your, from the people. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna, 
who was uh, the wife of Herod's steward, the Bible says that they ministered to Jesus out of their substance. Well, they had to have had substance. They had to have had finances. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they weren't required to give everything they had because they had. Jesus wouldn't have had any place to live when he was in their town. He stayed with them. So he didn't tell them to give everything away. Zacchaeus, he wasn't required to give everything away. Joseph of, of Arimathea wasn't required to give everything away. If he had, Jesus wouldn't have any place to be entombed. He had, he had a possession. He was a believer, but he still had possessions. Jesus himself didn't give everything away because on occasion after occasion after occasion, he sent money to give to the poor out of his treasury and when he was crucified, his, his clothes were so nice that they, they instead of, uh, they had a, they had a, he had a, a, a garment that was seamless. It was one woven piece, very nice. And the guards gambled or cast lots to see which one would get his, his, his garment. Poor, poor people's garments aren't usually gambled for. The early church wasn't required to give everything away. Ananias and Sapphira weren't required to give everything away. Remember they brought their offering and, and, and Peter said, while it was in your hand and even after you sold it, it was in your power, their sin was lying to the Holy Ghost. So Jesus wasn't telling this rich young ruler that he had to bankrupt himself. You know, the Bible says giving to the poor, but the Bible teaches giving to the poor. Well, if you give everything you have away, you're gonna be the poor. Then God's going to have people give to you. Then you won't be poor anymore. Then you give it all away and then you'll be, you'll be poor again. Amen. It says here that Jesus loved this man. He looked and, and it said that he looked at him, had compassion on him and loved him. Jesus wasn't trying to ruin him financially. That's not what he was trying to do. In fact, this man was an outstanding example of the blessing of Abraham. He said, I've done all of these things. I've kept the commandments and I've, I've honored God and I've lived right. Well, the blessing of Abraham says you obey the commandments, you're gonna be blessed. Amen. Jesus said it was hard for those who have riches to be saved. Let's keep on re right, uh, reading here. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. How hard now, you have to understand that when Jesus said this to this man, from the outward appearance, there was nothing wrong with him. He was a model Jew. He loved God. He kept the commandments. He said, I've kept all these commandments from my youth. He was a model person under the law. Only the Holy Spirit could have known the, the, the covetousness of his heart. When Jesus said, one thing you lack, sell what you have and give to the poor. He was, remember Jesus in his earthly ministry, was, he did not live out of his uh, omniscience. Now as God, God knows everything, but Jesus laid aside his heavenly uh, power and glory and became like one of us. He didn't know everything about people he met unless the Holy Ghost revealed it. And I know this, that many times a prophet, Jesus was a prophet. 
Many times a prophet will say things to somebody and not know why he said it. You remember the story time Brother Hagin, he was in a church and, and the offerings were really big. They were taking up big offerings, you know, for him. And uh, then the, the men of the church, you know, the, the uh, uh, deacons or the leaders of the church, they got together with the pastor and said, this is too much money to give Brother Hagin. This is, these offerings are crazy. We, we, we need to take some of this. Well, Brother Hagin got up the next service, you know, and he was preaching and, and he said he didn't know why he did it. He stopped right in the middle of his message, leaned over and there was a man sitting right there in front of him. He said, do you know some, some people are trying to steal my money? <laughs> and then he thought to himself, well, why did I say that? He went back to teach. He said, I did notice that guy turned every shade of red. It was the very man that had said we need to steal Brother Hagin's money. So I'm fully convinced that Jesus said this by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Here's what you need to do. You need to sell what you have and give to the poor. What Jesus was doing by the Holy Ghost, he zeroed in on exactly this man's real problem. Because if you read the story, it says that... uh, in verse 22, he, he was sad at that word and, and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. The Holy Ghost just read his mail. Jesus wasn't trying to ruin him. In fact, if you read on down, he said, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, that is properties, for my sake in the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children with lands and with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. So we know he's, he's talking about in this present age. This man who had great possessions could have had more than he could ever imagine. He could have had a hundred times that. According to Jesus, Jesus was just trying to get him to see where his heart was. Jesus said it's very difficult for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Well, we ought to pay attention to that. It's very di- it's hard for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. We're talking about being saved. You know that's true when you look around in our culture today. People who are the mega rich very often it's hard to get them to see their need of anything. It's very hard to get truly wealthy people to be saved. Why? Because they they feel like they've done it all. They don't need anything. They don't need God. Amen. That's still true today. Uh, Notice that he was that disciples were astonished at his words. He said, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. Well, why would they be astonished? Why, why would they be shocked and surprised when he said how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? Well, the only explanation is, is, is it was something they didn't expect. It had to have contradicted what they thought. I mean, if, if, if I say, I saw an airplane fly over my house yesterday, would you be shocked? Would you be astonished at that? If I said, I saw a pig fly over my house yesterday. 
Now that would be astonishing because that's inconsistent with what you know. So when Jesus said it's impossible for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God and they were astonished, that means it must have been, it must have contradiction, contradicted what they know. Well, they knew, if, if they knew the Bible and they knew the Old Testament, they knew the blessing of Abraham, that contradicted the blessing of Abraham. And it must have contradicted how Jesus lived himself. Because if Jesus had lived in poverty, if they all, you know, had to give everything away and just live, you know, uh, hand to mouth and, and barely have enough to get along, you know, and just lived, you know, with, with nothing, then that would have been consistent with what they had seen in, in following Jesus. But it must not have been because it astonished them. And uh, so Jesus went on to say, he said, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches. See, it's not, the, it's not the riches, it's the trust in riches. Jesus said how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. That's when Peter began to say to him, we've left all and followed you. Jesus answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one, and, and we've read this, there's no one that's left anything who, but except will receive a hundredfold more in this lifetime. We, we, we should pay attention to this. It's hard for those who trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. And it's hard, listen, it's hard to have riches and not trust in them if you're not sold out to God. If you're a casual Christian, one of the worst things that ever happened to you is that you prosper and think that God did it. Amen. He said it's impossible. It's impossible. It, it takes supernatural grace to prosper and keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus talked about the deceitfulness. Riches are deceptive. They deceive. And you have to be very careful with prosperity. You have to be very careful with abundance and don't get caught up in it because it's, it's deceiving. It deceives. Here's the deception. It makes you want to trust in it. it, make, it that's the deception. It, it tempts you to trust in what you have. Whew, I'm really rolling in the money. I am really doing so good. I've got such a good lifestyle. Things are really clicking for me. Look what I've done. Oh boy, this is wonderful. I'll just live like this forever. I'll never have a care. Remember the man we read about last week? I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build even bigger barns and so I'll be able to store all of my goods and I'll have, uh, I can, you know, live my life at ease. That's deception. We have to keep our dependence upon God. Keep money in its place. If you'll keep it in its place, God will bless you abundantly beyond your wildest imagination. It was beyond what this man could imagine if he had just allowed Jesus to speak into his life and say, you know, you're right. I need, I need to... to I need to give up what I have. I need to give something away. 
I, I, I realize that I'm focused on myself too much. I need to give something away. If he had done that, it would have unlocked for him wealth beyond anything he could imagine. He had great possessions already. He could have been one of the richest man, men of the day if his heart had been right. Amen. Prosperity without godliness produces pride, self-reliance, and the lust for more and more things and for less and less of the things of God. We'll say that again. Prosperity without godliness, without humility, without consecration, produces pride, self-reliance. I did it. I can keep on doing it. And a lust for more and more things and for less and less of the things of God. God isn't against us having riches. He's against riches having us. I, I noticed that this man, he, he, it wasn't following Jesus that turned him off. It wasn't taking up the cross and following him. It wasn't, you know, being radical for Jesus. It wasn't, you know, living a life that, uh, that would be, you know, he would be ostracized and, and persecuted. It was his money. There are a lot of people who give up everything to follow Jesus, but don't touch my money. Amen. They're headed for trouble. We ought to know that when we talk about prosperity, it's Jesus said it's impossible. Well, it's impossible without a full surrender and devotion to God. It's impossible to stay on the right track unless you're fully submitted, fully consecrated. I tell you, consecration is, is huge in the life of a Christian. Consecration is not something you do once, you know, and, and then you're consecrated. Consecration is something you come back to in your life over and over and over and over again. You have to to keep your heart right. Amen. If you'll do that, God will bless you abundantly. If you'll do that and couple that with generosity, let me say it that way, couple, couple a right heart with generosity, a right motive in generosity, boy, I tell you what, God will bless you and you will... You will if you've, ever, if you've ever experienced this where the Spirit of God has led you just to bless somebody, just you, you just impressed of the Lord to go to somebody and just say, you know, the Lord laid you on my heart. I just want to give you this. And then find out, I had this huge, they'll tell you, I had this huge need in my life and I didn't know where it was coming from. I was just trusting God. If you've ever experienced that, it's the most wonderful thing. It's the most wonderful thing. And, and God wants you to experience that. He wants you to be free and generous and unrestricted so that you can be a part of somebody else's victory, somebody else's dream. If you do that, God will make you rich. I said, God will make you rich. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. It's good news. It's all about motive. It's all about keeping your heart pure. But there's a warning here we need to pay attention to. If, if, if without consecration, riches will lead to your destruction. Wealth and prosperity, even, even um, a mild prosperity, will lead you down the wrong road if you're not committed to God. If you're not, I like the song we sang this morning. He's the first and the last. He's the great I am. Jesus said, I am the alpha and the omega. He has to be first in your life. He has to be last in your life. 
Some people start off with him being first, but then somewhere down the road, they forget him. He's the first, he's the last. He's the beginning, he's the end. He's everything. That means he's everything in the middle. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.